Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash SLM and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com forward slash SLM and get started now. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Sensibly Loud Radio. This is Be Easy Brandon, and I'm joined by the one and only Mountain Carl. How's it going, Carl? It's going pretty great. Thanks, Be Easy. How you doing? Doing pretty good. Had a pretty interesting weekend so far. Uh, how about you? It's been a it's been an interesting uh, you know past few weeks. I've I've been uh, I moved in with my parents temporarily because of Mountain Dog's affliction, and. Uh, They've got their their one story house, and we live on a second floor apartment. Which I don't know if you've ever had back surgery or if your dogs have ever had back surgery, but they uh, they have trouble with stairs. Imagine that. And uh, we've got a great uh, elevator here for the twenty percent of the time that it works. So <laughs> when we're not we're not messing with that, uh, we figured we'd make it easy on Mountain Dog and and have him uh, kind of stowed away you know right next to the the outside area so he could go to the restroom more easily and not have to stress himself out so we'll be doing that for just a little while and then we'll we'll bring him back here and and go figure out our our next steps but uh yeah no everything's everything's going really well you uh you went to uh, oktoberfest last week or this weekend yeah, that's right. Uh, Friday night after work, I went with Daniel and his girlfriend. We went over to Oktoberfest in McKinney. So it was all downtown McKinney uh, in the square. I've only been there maybe once or twice back when they had the Londoner was located there. Now it's called the Celtic, I think, um, or the Celt, something like that. So, uh, yeah, another Irish pub. But, uh, yeah, it's cool walking around the old downtown. I, I would say that of all the the old downtown squares, I think that South Lake is probably the most German looking in terms of uh, the architecture. Sure. But this one is probably a, a close second. And, uh, you know, so it was, it was cool. We kind of planned it like figuring, you know, we get there after 8 p.m. that maybe there won't be a whole lot of people and there was still a ton of people. But, you know, and it was still a little warm outside, but it started to cool down. I just, man, it's just fall weather can't get here soon enough. But, uh, yeah, I had a good time and uh, tried out some different beers and, you know, even ran into a family member. So you just never know. Yeah, you never do. What uh, what was your favorite Oktoberfest beer that you ran into? Uh, well, they only had like a certain amount on draft. Um, they had the McKinney Oktoberfest, which was a little different, the Hofbrau and Franconia. Um, Franconia had a, a large assortment because that's actually brewed there uh, in McKinney as well as, of course, the McKinney kind. But I think uh, I think the Hofbrau Oktoberfest was my favorite. Nice. Yeah, we, uh, we've been doing our own uh, Oktoberfest at the parents' house because we haven't been able to go out anywhere. But 
the uh, few that we've tried, uh, Oak Highlands Brewery uh, did a pretty good one. That's another local one. And then uh, I think, let's see, what was the other best one we've had? St. Arnold's was oh, yeah. uh, down from Houston, did a pretty great job. So definitely, definitely getting my share of Oktoberfest beer recently, trying, trying the full gamut as far as that's concerned. So it's been, it's been pretty great. Let me ask you, are you a pumpkin ale or, or pumpkin anything kind of guy? You know, uh, I kind of over pumpkined myself growing <laughs> up. I felt like that was, uh, well, and then of course I'll have like the seeds and stuff like that. And then I'll, I'll eat them. And then my, my gut will feel like I just ate a bunch of razor blades. So oh, yeah. I definitely was like, I don't, I don't need pumpkin in my life. And I think if I just sprinkle it in, every here and there it's not that big of a deal but but i can really go over that you threshold pretty quickly when it comes to over pumpkining my life yeah so what what about you are you are you ready for han solo weather do you have your your ugg boots and your tights ready and and ready to get your pumpkin spice latte uh you know pumpkin spice lattes aren't really my thing i think when i first you know discovered them at starbucks once upon a time they were good but it's just really sweet and uh you know i i think uh for pumpkin stuff like you know carving pumpkins is fun but uh i do like a good pumpkin ale and um there's one that i tried recently from rar and sons which is located in fort worth i didn't go there but i had this at a, a local place called taps and caps in the colony and uh, they had the this Rarn Sons. Uh, I don't know how to describe it. It it was either like a pumpkin dunkle or something like that. But yeah, it I've was that. really good. It it was uh, not too sweet, not too tart. Like just r- had a really really nice flavor. So I do like that. I mean, I can't like drink that kind of stuff all the time because I just prefer like a you know lager or some local buzz or something like that. But sure, it's definitely good this time of year. Pumpkin dunkle. That's something that you shot probably should not say five times fast. (laughs) Then it probably starts to sound like something else. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Do you you go see any good movies lately? Uh, Yeah. So uh, alluded to in the last episode, helped my dad move some stuff and we went and saw Rambo last blood. So that movie was pretty interesting Uh, going into it. I was just hoping it wouldn't suck (laughs) because Sly is, you know, he's up there now. I think he's got to be 70 at least. Yeah, and, the world's most jacked 70-year-old. Right. So I I didn't mind uh, The Last Rambo, which came out, I think, about 10 years ago. Um, and that one was pretty interesting. It was definitely way better than, you know, the second and the third films. Um, but this one was a, was a bit interesting, how it was directed and uh, the cast. Uh, you know, I, I felt like the casting was, was pretty well done. There were a few times where... I felt like the acting wasn't quite there or maybe if we had a little bit more character depth, uh, probably would have helped, but you know, it's kind of like you see where he came back to the house where his, his parents once lived or his dad once lived. And as you know, uh, you kind of see that is alluded to at the end of the last Rambo movie. And so he finds his family that's living there. So he pretty much like takes care of the land and, you know, kind of becomes uncle John to a lot of them. And, uh, watches out for them, but something happens along the way to one of the characters and he goes and tries to find this character and then it becomes this revenge type of film without giving too much away. Uh, and 
I will say that of all the Rambo movies, this one's probably the most violent. Um, it it really goes into like hard R territory, kind of like what John Wick would do, but this goes into like horror element aspect of like you know. Wow. Sometimes it's it's a little bit where you have to put yourself in disbelief because it's like okay, obviously this guy would still be dead. You know, this guy would be dead already, and you know whatever whoever he's attacking, but. Um, but it was pretty cool because he has this whole farm and and basically they all come towards the end for this huge climax and he sets up all these traps kind of like Home Alone style. But it's like, you know, what the Viet Cong would do with like spikes and stuff and things that, you know, they, they trip the wire and it would swing down and go right into someone's face. So you see some pretty graphic stuff and it, it looks pretty real. Um, you so, heard it here first, folks. Rambo Last Blood is Home Alone meets Viet Cong. Yeah. Home Alone meets that meets... Uh, probably texas chainsaw massacre like it, it gets pretty brutal so yeah if you're you're squeamish at all uh you probably don't want to see this one but they build up the opposition to be like so evil that when it happens you're kind of like cheering it along like yeah you know but almost <laughs> kind of like yeah but then you kind of feel bad for what happens to these people and you're just like wow uh but yeah, overall, I uh, thought it was really good. There were a few times, and I was talking about this with my dad afterwards, that some of the camera angles and, and the, the choices the, the director made. Um, for example, there's one scene where uh, Rambo is, is having a conversation. It's at night with this woman, and he's trying to you know get her to help him to get information to find out where these bad guys are. And so when he's talking to her, it's from like a side shot. They're in this this uh, woman's apartment, and so you see both figures. You just see their silhouettes because behind it is a window with like moonlight coming through it. And so on one side you see her talking normal, and then on the other side, yeah. And again, it's the side profile of their silhouettes. You see Sly talking, and his bottom lip is is you know protruding out much further than his upper lip. So he looks like some blockhead character. He looks like Mickey Rourke or uh, or the Thing from uh, you know. Fantastic, Fantastic Four. Four. So yeah. he's talking. He's just like, "Oh, I really want to talk to blah blah blah." And it, it just <laughs> it it held on that on that angle for like sixty seconds. And I'm just like, "This looks so ridiculous!" Like it was taking me out of the movie because I'm like, "He's got to get his face fixed," or I don't know if he had something in his mouth. Like it just it, it looks so weird. Like a dog eating peanut butter. Yeah, or like he he was in too many uh yeah exactly or he was in too many Rocky movies and got you know punched in the jaw too many times beat the hell out of yeah yeah but Did you ever see uh oh keep going sorry. oh no 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 so you know uh to wrap it up I kind of feel like uh it it definitely showed more of a human side to him and he had a lot more dialogue than his other films um and so overall I, I'd watch it again I'd probably give this like a B minus C plus somewhere in there, um, but definitely worth checking out. Three Macaulay Culkins out of five. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, what did were you gonna ask? see? Um, Hot Shots Part Two. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, with uh, with Charlie Sheen kind of doing his Rambo thing. That was uh, stacking was up the fantastic. kill count. Yeah. yeah, stacking up the kill count. Uh, <laughs> was it? He he like shot a chicken into like uh oh who is it um. Saddam Saddam Hussein's mouth or something like yeah. that. Yeah. And like it cracked out an egg. Yeah. No, that was a, that was a great movie for, for those of you who were not children of the nineties and did not, uh, did not appreciate 
all the action movies that are coming out of the time, like a Top Gun and Rambo and all that kind of stuff. Um, in case you were wondering, there are pretty great movies, like parody movies that were made of those uh, in the Hot Shots franchise. And uh, that was a Charlie Sheen's, maybe was one of Charlie Sheen's biggest movies that he did um, just just early on. I mean, o- outside later on, of Arrival, got, yeah. Yeah, outside of Arrival, sure. Yeah, one of the greatest <laughs> movies of all time. Yep. Char- <laughs> I actually was just trying to figure out what the hell... Has Charlie Sheen done anything since he since he went off the deep end? I don't think he has. Um, I think they started doing a show like I forget what it was called, like What About Charlie or I don't know something like that. Um, I think I heard that he was doing a podcast for a little while, but you know, seems like any of those celebrities will just start doing something like that to build interest, and then all of a sudden they're back in projects again. Yeah, his IMDb is is pretty sparse um, ever since about 2015. Yeah, sounds about right. Which makes a lot of sense, actually. So, uh, yeah, I he, he was in some real stinkers, but Hot Shots, great, great movie. So we have some pretty interesting movie news to cover. I think the last time or two times ago we talked about the Batman and some casting news that was involved in that as far as his villains were concerned, but we learned some new information. What is that? What did we learn about who was going to play the Riddler? Yeah. So now it's, you know, as we're getting into the fall, as we predicted, there's going to be more announcements of stuff. Um, it hasn't been officially announced yet, but a lot of major sources, uh, I believe it was variety and, and a few others who are always very concrete on their sources and reporting. Uh, the report is that Jonah Hill is in talks to play the Riddler and is very close uh, to signing a deal. Um, a lot of people predicted, probably because of his weight, uh, or what his weight used to be, that it would be something. Yeah, yeah what, that it would probably be Penguin, which I could see that too. But um, I, but this take on him being the Riddler, I think, is, is perfect. One show I didn't watch, I think it was on Netflix, uh, was that show, or that, yeah, I think it was a series called Maniac that he was right. in with Emma Stone. And a lot of people said that the way he acted in that, they could they can now definitely picture him as the Riddler because of that. So I def- that's something I need to check out. Yeah, absolutely. That was, uh, that was everything that I saw referenced was referencing Maniac, and obviously he had a serious amount of weight loss uh, mm-hmm. when he was in that role. So I... Uh, I'm not really sure how I feel about that. I think I had him or Josh Gad pegged so hard for Penguin that it's very difficult for me to put his, you know, super bad, uh, you know, 21 Jump Street this into the Riddler role. I mean, I guess I, because of all the casting news that has been around a Riddler role before, especially in the Christopher Nolan days they were saying people like Johnny Depp was going to be the Riddler and stuff like that. And it was seemed like a very, I don't know, I won't say thoughtful, but more reserved Riddler that they were going for in -hmm. that era. And so makes me wonder exactly how he's going to portray that character in this franchise. Um, do you think it's going to be a more reserved kind of character or do you think he's going to be batshit insane? I think they'll probably take what 
what is in the comics as well as uh, I think it was to me it was perfectly portrayed in the Arkham video game series uh, right. because Riddler is a very uh, central figure in all of those and challenging Batman with riddles and you have to collect the riddle the Riddler uh, trophies to finally like square off against him and then he just can't believe that you know because he's always pick, poking fun that you're the world's greatest detective that Batman is and uh, and that you can't figure it out and then when you do and foil his plans and he then he really like loses it so you know he's very like conniving and and uh he's got this sense of just being you know always right and kind of has this pompous way about him so i could definitely see him doing that um i don't think it's going to be anything like what we saw with batman forever and thank god it's not going to be like that because that was just that was just you know at a time and especially for that kind of movie they needed something that was zany over the top and that was more uh, closely, I w- that would probably that closely aligned to you know Batman of, of the '60s. Uh, so I think this is going to be more of a real take, more of a gritty take, and something that's going to be very psychological and nuanced. That um, it would be similar to it, people that have read the comics would probably be similar to you know uh, the character that Kevin Spacey played in the movie Seven. I think it's going to be something like that. Okay. I can get behind that. So can confirm the easy does not want to see a Joel Schumacher version <laughs> no. of Riddler again. No, that happens. You can count me out of this new franchise. That's fair. Um, some other new information that we got from the Hollywood reporter was that Jeffrey Wright was going to be commissioner Gordon. We're not entirely sure if that's true or not. That was, um, that was interesting. I could definitely see that being, the case i'm not really surprised jeffrey wright's got a pretty big portfolio these days everything from westworld and i don't know what i, I can't remember what else he's been in well recently. he uh you know i went i think i first noticed him he played felix Leiter, which is the cia agent that works alongside with james bond and has been known to do that throughout the books and the past movies with sean connery and all that and he first showed up in casino royale as Felix Leiter. And so he reprised his role in Quantum of Solace, which was the kind of the stinker that was the sequel after uh, Casino. And he's going to be back in this final go around with uh, No Time to Die, uh, which I'm glad he is. But, you know, I always thought he was just so damn good as Felix that he needed to be in all the Bond films. And he's such a great actor. And then when I saw him in Westworld, I'm like, man, he's just knocking out of the park. So, yeah, he's a very uh, he, he brings a lot of depth to his acting and his abilities. So I think this will be perfect with him as Gordon. We need to do a race to see who's been in more uh, or who's had more actors portray them, Felix Leiter or James Bond, because I feel like in every <laughs> single movie, especially in the early ones, it was rotating out of like 40 different actors that were just constantly being shuffled through for Felix Leiter. And uh, I mean, so it, it, that in that way, it kind of kept me from getting super attached to that character. Uh, but you're right. Um, I mean, he's, he's done a good job in that role. He's done a great job in, in Westworld. Uh, that was a very, that's a very deep TV show. That's definitely written for, for the blogosphere and stuff like that. People that want to, you know, pick apart shows afterwards for about four hours after mm-hmm. the air. So I would, uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of HBO shows have been going that direction. 
but yeah, I yeah. can't, I can't blame him for that. That's how you get cold followings. So, yep. What else is going on? What do we figure out about Joker? Uh, looks like Warner Brothers came out and said that they were they were making a statement that they don't endorse violence, which I, I think is kind of a silly statement. I mean, can we all agree that there's no production house out there that really endorses violence? Yeah, you know, it's it's really ridiculous and over the top to just like attack one film and I understand like uh, <clears throat> why they're doing it uh, and, and it's you know to be sensitive as well the victims of the um, you know Aurora. Aurora victims of the shooting that happened um, during you know the screening of I think I said last time it was during the Dark Knight I think it was during the Dark Knight Rises if I'm not mistaken um, it was yeah, yeah so it, it uh, I, I get it I, I understand, and it's definitely good to be sensitive to those sort sort of tragedies. But at the same time, you know, we we discussed it kind of ad nauseum, and we went pretty in depth with our thoughts on it last episode. Last episode, yeah. In terms of you know what causes the person to pull the trigger or to snap or whatever, uh, you know, and I would say that you know a movie that would probably in, endorse violence and endorse how to do it would be like a point of view. A film like Hardcore Henry, you know, where you actually see it, the guns up in front and it desensitizes, you know, but at the same time that that goes back to like movies and video games. They don't they don't cause it. It's all again about, you know, nature versus nurture and and their upbringing. And, you know, if they have parents that really, you know, gave a damn and were there for them or not. But, you know, but this is a move that Warner's Warner Brothers has to do um, that, you know, they're not condoning the act of violence and they're not, you know, Again, this is all just a story that's being told on film. And it's all, you know, it's part of art. It's all open to interpretation. And, uh, you know, this isn't Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, it's, it's not. Well, I, I don't know, actually, because I haven't seen it. I don't know if it's gratuitous violence or if it's it's all about violence or not. But again, I, I think that. I, who's going to be the production house that come out, comes out and says we endorse violence full stop. Right. You know, I mean, I don't, to me, that seems like such a weird disclaimer to have in general, but uh, again, I guess if they've got to circle the wagons on this thing, they're, they're already, and they already are. I mean, they're, they've had some weird rough interviews with Joaquin Phoenix about it. They've had some very strange reactions before stuff ever even hits the floor. Uh, they're restricting access for some of their print broadcast journalists. And, and it's just, it, it's really weird. Um, I don't know. I, I think when this is all said and done, Warner brothers will have done what they needed to do to try to control the message as best they can, especially since things have kind of gotten out of their control. But uh, I, again, like I don't, I don't necessarily think that we're in a situation here where anybody's going to come out and say, Nope. What we wanted to do was make the next mass shooter. Thanks. We got it. Good job, Joker. Yeah. So. Well, and, and the movie is not supposed to be from what I've read, you know, and Todd Phillips, the director said is that it's not, it's not, you know, getting behind him and, and getting behind this character and, you know, proving of what he's doing, you know, anything like that, you know, kind of like akin to, uh, to a taxi driver, you know, it's, you see someone kind of like lose their, 
mind a bit and see how crazy they get, you know, and it, they become something else, you know. And so it's it's about, you know, mental health. Um, and that's that's a big thing. But I think, uh, I mean, what do you think about Warner Brothers restricting access for print and broadcast journalists from the red carpet for the U.S. premiere? I mean, I feel like that's a good move because that's all that the media wants to talk about because we live in such a time where it's all about shock culture or controversy. And if there's controversial headlines that so-and-so says this, you know, and then they take it out of context and do this and do that, uh, you know, that's what gets their clicks and you get the clickbait going. Um, yeah. And it distracts from what is really going on um, and what, what really the movie is intended to be and not what, you know, the media is basically saying that it will be. And some of those uh, media, you know, journalists probably hasn't even seen the movie yet. Oh, yeah, I'm sure they haven't. I mean, uh, when it comes to restricting access and things like that, I, I'm I, like, I think they, they really are trying to, to circle the wagons on this. And you're right. There are there are a lot of people that are in the media that will for sure try to create news as opposed to report it. And I think that a lot of that has happened with this already. So them trying to stem that flow isn't that big of a deal to me. Uh, I mean, having them come in after the movie has released as opposed to interviewing everybody about how awful they think they are on the red carpet seems to be a pretty smart move. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, we'll see. I got my advanced tickets, so I'm going to go see it um, Thursday night. I'll probably see it again with uh, with you and maybe uh, yeah. J-Mac if he's around uh, that this next weekend. So definitely looking forward to see it. I've heard that it is a film that you have to see multiple times because there's a lot of layers and details. So uh, I'm definitely looking forward to it. I would suspect that is going to be that case. So what uh, what other great news do we have going on? Uh, looks like we have Laura Dern, Sam Neill, and Jeff Goldblum reported to be in Jurassic World 3. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I think that's a great thing. Um, I admittedly did not see the last Jurassic World film, and I need to. Um, I've heard some mixed things on it, but, you know, there were mixed things on the first Jurassic World. And, you know, it kind of becomes this formulaic thing. I don't know that I even really like Bryce Dallas Howard, uh, Bryce Dallas Howard's character that much. And, you know, it's kind of like Chris Pratt is just there being Chris Pratt. Uh, yep. So... I, I don't know. I, I just, I, I miss the old days of the animatronics mixed with CGI and having sort of that sense of realism and everything involved with that. But that first film just had this sense of wonder and, and just magic to it. And that cast added to it. I mean, cause you could have had a shitty cast and you could have had like one of the most visually stunning things ever and it probably would not have done as, as well as it did. But that cast just really gelled well together. Uh, they really brought these characters to life. And, you know, I, I think it's great that Laura Dern and Sam Neill and, and Jeff Goldblum be all in it. Um, one thing I heard about the second Jurassic World is that Jeff Goldblum was only in it for like five minutes and didn't really do much. So I'm hoping that this means they're going to be the main center of the story. And, you know, if you have Chris Pratt along with them, you know, for protection or whatever like that, that works too. But, uh, yeah, all of them are fantastic actors and I'm, I'm really looking forward to having them back and maybe they'll get that same, you know, magical 
uh, camaraderie back in there um, that was featured in the first film, which was featured off of uh, Michael Crichton's, uh, you know, really, really amazing novel, uh, Jurassic Park. Did you ever read Jurassic Park? I never did. Admittedly, I was uh, I was always about the movies, but I never I never dove into the book on that one. Which I mean, Michael Crichton, what hasn't he done? You know, in Drama to Strain and oh all yeah, kinds of great stuff. So it's it's worth it for me to do that, especially since that's all right up my alley. But uh, is it is it safe to say that practical effects have a very special place in your heart? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and I know I I get it that it's probably cheaper to go CGI nowadays with the technology, but you lose that sense of realism. Like when you see that there's something that exists in this three dimensional space, we call, you know, the world, uh, reality, I, I guess you, you say it's, it's kind of, it brings more gravity to it. There was a, a really interesting, uh, bent that John Favreau took on the very first Iron Man when he made a very, very big stink about the fact that he wanted to do, uh, primarily practical effects for that movie. Now, obviously, they had to do CGI for, you know, giant fight scenes with Ironmonger and that kind of crap. But for the most part, the the up-close shots of Robert Downey Jr. in the suit avoided a lot of the strange stuff that Ryan Reynolds and, like, Green Lantern had to deal with where he just looked like Gumby. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it's, it's, and that's kind of maybe like why I've had some issues with some older properties that are doing films like, you know, the, the recent Predator one that was just, well, it wasn't written that well, but it, it was just way too much CGI versus what they used to do. And I don't know, I guess call me old fashioned, but I prefer having like some, you know, visual physical effects, you know, kind of mixed in with, with CGI. That's why I guess I like Christopher Nolan films so much because he does that. Right. And I can understand that. Well, if you do want to catch up on any of your Michael Crichton novels, you can always go to Audible, who is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash SLM and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs, download a title free, and start listening. It's that easy. And uh, you can absolutely go check out all of what Michael Crichton has to offer. At least that's my assumption because Audible has a giant, giant library of books. So there's no reason not to, right? You got that right. Uh, so other news that's going on, El Camino, uh, the new Breaking Bad movie, the trailer, uh, full-length trailer dropped for that recently. So that's coming out here in, uh, what, a couple weeks, October 11th. Um, what do you think of the trailer? You know, as, as someone who has mid, admittedly not seen a lot of Breaking Bad, at least more than to get the flavor of the show, and uh, and yes, that is on the docket. I will not be harassed for that. But uh, <laughs> but Aaron Paul, um, Aaron Paul looks uh, haggard as shit in that trailer, um, which deservedly so. He's a man on the run, and it it looks like. It looks like it's going to be a really, I mean, and this is on par for Breaking Bad, but very moody, you know, and, and very introspective and like a great, you know, character piece as well as got some very good action involved in it. I was 
getting a very much, uh, and yes, this is very on the nose, I know, but a very much a fugitive vibe from the trailer. Um, and like more of like the movie, the fugitive, right. Mm -hmm. Of the show, the fugitive, which, like I said, a little on the nose, but it, I can't help, but put that kind of comparison out there, especially with the kind of the Harris, the classic Harrison Ford transformation, you know, especially at the very beginning of that movie where he's on the run and he's, he's definitely like, he's, he's shaving, he's getting rid of that beard and everything like that. And now he's, he's kind of back to his old self and he's using his wits to get away from everybody. And, you know, they've got him cornered, that kind of thing. It's, it, it's definitely not a slow burn. I'll tell you that it was the, the trailer had it ratcheted up to 11 the whole time. So I'm I'm excited. I'm should I watch the movie first or should I watch the show first? Is that sacrilege to go movie then show? It'd be very sacrilegious in this case uh, because certain characters will probably pop up. Um, you might have this Obi Wan effect for a certain character that uh, may or may not have um, have uh, passed away during the show that'll pop up uh, and it could be in his own head. I mean, that's my theory for what's probably going to happen during this movie. So you'll probably be a little confused. Um, this is, and watching the trailer probably already like gave certain things away in terms of like, cause it happens right after the events of the finale of the show. Um, and just to kind of put in perspective, the timeline is, you know, you have that show and then you have better call Saul, which is like the prequel and in the series of events that, of you know this lawyer named Saul Goodman and you find out that he actually was somebody totally different and had a totally different name and, and all this stuff before he became Saul and so it's all those events in terms of how that side of things came to be with uh, a few other elements and characters so yeah uh, you definitely need to watch uh, Breaking Bad you you probably don't need to catch up on Better Call Saul to watch this movie because again right. those are events that lead up to Breaking Bad but um, to get the full perspective on this universe, it definitely would help. Uh, yeah, I better, uh, Breaking Bad was one of those shows that people were raving to me about all the time, and I just never got around to it until it was finally on Netflix, and then I binge-watched all of it you know, years ago when it first came out on Netflix. Uh, to a lot of people, it's uh, because they've had different directors come in. Do, like I think uh, Ryan Johnson, I want to say he directed an episode or two. Um, right. And, and some other really great, you know, fantastic people that have been part of that show just to kind of come in direct. But uh, to, to a lot of people, it's one of the best TV shows or series ever, which is saying a lot. And I have to agree with them. It's definitely up there. Um, it's not my favorite TV series ever, but it's it's definitely something that that resonates and stays with you. And it's, it's so well-written and, you know, brilliantly done. Um, yeah, definitely recommend checking it out uh, eventually when you get some time. That's, that's the hard part, right? These days of, of, uh, trying to find time to catch up on all this content. Yeah, exactly. On my off time, I did, uh, I did, I did a good thing and I, I got my parents invested in the FX show justified. Oh, recently, nice. Yeah. Which, if anybody is uh, has wanted a modern, what you know, a modern take on a modern western, and uh, was a big Timmy, Timothy Oliphant fan, I would absolutely recommend that show. That is a a great, great show. Really, really good acting, and can hook you immediately. I think they've got that on 
Amazon Prime right now and mm-hmm. probably several other things. But uh, that was, I just had to drop that because that was another excellent show that, that people need to binge immediately. Uh, I got to be honest. There is a show that I've seen a long time ago uh, or a movie I saw a long time ago. And I never thought I'd ever talk about it again. <laughs> well, that's why we have this show. That's why this thing has been created. So we talk about stuff, you know. The, the jog down memory lane. Did you ever? Did you ever watch the movie Clue? I did. Yep, watched it uh, as a kid, and I think I've seen it two or three times. I I used to uh, my when I was growing up, you know, I'd get sick, you know, during the school year, that kind of thing. And uh, my mom would throw on a lot of really, really crappy sci-fi a lot of times, you know, she'd throw on like, you know, old Doctor Who and, and, you know, like uh, when I was older, you know, I would watch weird, weird crap, like Critters 2 would come on TV or something like that. (laughs) Yeah. But one of the things that we used to go uh, rent from the video store was Clue. And, you know, at the time you're watching it and I mean, it probably wasn't that risque you know but when, when it was made it was and and it was also uh you know years and years later when i was like six years old or something like that that was uh i thought that was a, a like a super fun movie and and it had like a gazillion different endings to it and stuff like that it was it was a really interesting way the, the movie was shot that i'd never really seen before and it stuck with me forever how do you remake that kind of movie now when when that kind of thing has been done i mean right now we're talking about uh jason bateman and talks to direct a clue remake with ryan reynolds this just popped up recently mm-hmm. to me yeah it was the best way you could have made a movie about a board game probably I won't say ever, but they did a lot with not a lot of work, like not a lot of information, right? There, were, I mean, when you look at the board game, especially older board games, think of like Trouble or Sorry or something like that. Uh, the only thing that this had a leg up on as far as board games were concerned back in the day was that people were involved. So they could cast people as, you know, characters and things like that. You didn't have people cast as yellow pawn or red pawn. Right. So it it seemed like a stretch already. And what they did with it was pretty incredible at the time. So do you really think they're going to be able to push the limits on what this can offer now? Or is it just going to be a rehash, like a shot for shot remake? I mean, it's got, I mean, Jason Bateman's pretty talented, right? Yeah. So, I mean, what do you think? I think it's going to be, uh, sort of a, a blend in between. I don't think it'll be a shot for shot for, uh, remake. And of course, you know, like that cast in the original clue was pretty amazing for, it's kind of like a who's who of everybody who was popular at the time. They'll probably do the same thing again here uh, and get, you know, some people in who are, you know, really amazing actors. Like I wouldn't mind if they had Paul Giamatti added to the list uh, right. and he can be, <clears throat> you know, like professor plum or something like that. Uh, I mean, just get get like the who's who of like incredible actors that also have like a comedic side of them. I I don't want to see the rock in this. Um, <laughs> sorry, but 
kind of over over uh, overdone with the Rock these days. But with having uh, you know Jason Bateman, I'm sure he's going to be. I know he's in talks to direct, but I could see him starring in it as well. And this kind of goes back to a movie that he was in um, not that long ago. I think it was called Game Night. Did you ever see that? Oh yeah, absolutely. I uh, I love that. In fact, we watched it the other day. Yeah, so that kind of had a clue vibe to it, um, but of course, it didn't take place all in one house. It just kind of like, and then it went way over the top. But you yeah. know, but I could see something like that going on because I know because um, I was I was starting to think like, has Jason Bateman and Ryan Reynolds ever been in a movie together? And then I remembered that yes, they were, and I don't remember the name of the movie, but it's where they switch bodies, kind of like a Freaky Friday type thing, and. I, and so Jason Bateman's in Ryan Reynolds' body. And, of course, Jason Bateman's character was married and Ryan Reynolds isn't. So all of a sudden he's got all these girls and he's just, like, not knowing what to do. And then Ryan Reynolds is now Jason Bateman's character. And he's just like, he's like, man, I wish this guy would have done some more push-ups, you know. And just, you know, so it, I can't remember the name of it, but it was pretty hysterical. And I think they gel well together. I think they're both Canadian, I want to say. Um, so they got that going for them. But, that explains everything right there. Yeah. Uh, but the fact that it's his company that's producing it as well, um, I think if they're able to get the rights and all that, I think they could do something really, uh, really different here and something that would be really amazing to probably get people of all ages in to see the movie. And, you know, probably a PG-13 rating. But, um, yeah, I'm sure they'll probably add all kinds of people in. Casting uh, The Rock as Mrs. Peacock was a bold choice. <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't. We don't think they're gonna do that. No, they'll probably cast like Rihanna or something like that. You know, to kind of, you know, they'll have like your actors, actors, and then they'll throw in like a, you know, pop star here and there. Yeah, Ocean's Eleven kind of always gave yeah. me that vibe of just like the kind of movie that was made for the actors and not necessarily for the audience. You right. know, it was everybody was there and they're having a really good time making it. And I guess a movie just came out of that. It wasn't necessarily. It never really felt like it was anything more than a clubhouse for them, and we all just got to watch them hang out together. And uh, and I can definitely imagine that that kind of vibe happening again. Because you're right, it was a who's who of you know big time actors back in the day. So yeah, and you know, kind of like what uh, Ryan Johnson's film Knives Out is pretty much set up to be, which comes out in November, I believe. And that's a who's who, and you have like Daniel Craig and. Um, you know, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis and uh, Christopher Plummer, uh, you know, all these these really great actors all working together in, in a nice, you know, sort of a who's done it. And we haven't had something like that in a while. So I think with the success of that, that it's going to get people back into that that mood of wanting to have more and more of those type of films. And what better time to do it than bring back Clue? Yeah, I agree. I, uh, I think that'll be it the more we talk about it the more fun it sounds if they don't just do a rehash of what has already existed and i yeah. mean jason bateman's got a big enough brain i think he can figure this out they won't pick a crappy script yeah um but yeah i it'll, it'll be fun it would be even more fun if we had like knives out and clue and like three other whodunits coming out at the same time kind of like when hollywood gets that that you know their blood in the water and we need to we need to strike now kind of vibe yeah you know i would i would love to see another like dante's peak versus volcano thing <laughs> go on but all whodunits so yeah. uh 
something that is just throwaway news and we don't need to talk about it much more than this is Spider-Man is back in the MCU and nobody knows any of the details and I don't think anybody cares anymore. Haven't we moved past that news cycle about two weeks ago? Pretty much, yeah. The whole thing between Sony and, and Disney, you know, and Marvel, you know, just not able to get on the same page and now they've worked out a deal i guess the execs all had lunch together and gave each other back rub and was like okay yeah we'll work again i i don't know it the whole thing's ridiculous and frankly i i just don't care at this point i kind of feel like I, i'm really not that excited about this at all and sure i guess you can have more of a gambit of characters that could no pun intended that uh <laughs> that can be brought into the next uh installments of spider-man but you know, I'd rather just see Spider-Man stories, you know, and have the Spider-Man characters. I don't really need to see the other Marvel characters come in and this whole, like, you know, throw in the kitchen sink at the entire movie. Like, I just don't, I don't know. But that's just me. No, I understand. I mean, like, I, I'm i a very nerdy person, like, very much a closet nerd. And when when the first stuff came out, we talked about it. You know, I think we laid it out pretty well. Uh, this is probably about four episodes ago, as far as the Sony versus the, uh, you know, Disney take on who owns Spider-Man, who is going to have the rights to that character. Uh, whatever. I just, you know, go make movies that don't suck, please. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and I think that you've you spun you spun every nerd out of control for two weeks you met you met you gave people heart attacks they were scream crying in the corner uh they didn't know what to do with themselves uh that probably some of them took a week off of work and you know now we just found out that everything is fine and uh as predicted here it didn't matter so yep there Do you go doesn't matter speaking of things that don't suck did you see the first reviews for the Irishman? Oh yes, and there was also a new trailer, uh, the last, the final trailer that came out, and had a little bit of humor to it. And it showed, you know, uh, it, it showed uh, De Niro when he's twenty years old, and then you know, it just throughout the ages. So the the de aging thing that they have is just a pretty remarkable now compared to like the end of rogue one what they had with leia you know <laughs> so it, you could definitely tell like the technology's come a long way but regardless of all that the acting um you know so yeah i read some of the reviews and uh they said that al pacino really like steals the the spotlight in this one and uh which you know he tends to do that and just knocks it out of the park but i think all these guys are probably knocking it out of the park including joe pesci uh but yeah everybody's saying that there's oscar buzz with this that this is, uh, you know, it actually, uh, a lot of reviews came out of the New York Film Festival. Um, so that happened uh, over the last uh, course of the last week. And a lot of people are saying, yeah, that this is probably going to be Netflix's first that will win Oscars. Um, so really excited about that because I'm a huge Scorsese fan. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I'll, t I'll do a hot take right now. And I will say that Pacino for me, he can overact sometimes, but the key for him is that he always picks the right movies to overact in, and he picks the right times in those movies to overact. So when people watch that and they get like an extra, like two doses of Al Pacino at one time, and they're like, wow, that, they don't go, that's too much Al Pacino. They say, damn, that guy can act. 
and maybe that's a, the balancing act that all these people have to go through. But I like in heat, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, like he, he's very like slow burn for 90% of the entire thing. And it's, it's all him. And, you know, you'll get, you'll get him and De Niro and like two shots together actually talking and, and it's really chill. And everybody's like, damn, that was a good scene. And then you'll see him, you know, working off of, some random scene that had no business having him go off the rails and it's just like you know him just like screaming into the camera and and losing his fucking mind and uh i remember heat's one of my favorite movies and and i remember uh the the scene that you're probably referencing to and they bring this guy in for questioning and he's seeing like uh val kilmer's girlfriend or or wife i think that was played by uh, uh ashley judd and so he brings him in the office and he's talking to him and then he just goes over the top and explodes like Al Pacino usually does. And come to find out that scene when he did that, he improvised. That wasn't even in the script. And you see the guy like frightened. He's like, he's like ferocious, aren't I? You know? And, and uh, yeah, it was, it's, yeah, it's funny when he goes off the rails like that. And the guy had to like go change his pants afterwards. Like yeah. He just didn't know what to do with himself. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's I, I imagine like any any kind of I haven't watched a lot of interviews admittedly with with Al Pacino but god I hope they're all like that where it's it's mostly just very quiet and very reserved mm-hmm. and all of a sudden they're like I flip a switch in his brain or maybe it short circuits and he just starts screaming random shit at people because uh because that's the kind of actor he is but he always does it at the right time and so everybody goes damn like that's a really good scene so I mean I'm not I'm not gonna rag on the guy too much, but it there's definitely a time and a place for his style of acting, and he's smart enough to choose the movies where it plays well. Oh, kind of like Nicolas Cage, same thing, dude. I, yes and no. Yes and I no. <laughs> yeah, sometimes <laughs> the timing you're just like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, okay. So the first argument you have to make is: is there a right time for Nicolas Cage? Mm, yeah, but it depends on the film. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. And then the next time, the next argument you have to make is in said film, is there a right time for Nicolas Cage to go peak Nicolas Cage? And again, I don't know if there's a right time for that, but boy, we're all really happy when it happens. Like the beginning of Face Off? The beginning. <laughs> <laughs> uh, beginning of Face Off. Uh, yeah. If, if you could make, if you could put videos on a tombstone, you know, I would definitely have that on his, you know, just that first like 15 second shot, like a gif made or gif, whatever Yeah. of, uh, of him doing that, you know, you know, God forbid he passes away soon. May he have a long and happy life, but when he does pass, it would be great if that was just like a constant shot with <laughs> him at the beginning of face off on his tombstone. Uh, there's that there's, you know what? I'm not even going to go through it. Anybody can YouTube uh, Nicholas Cage freaks out. Oh yeah, and you you got his early career to that to even most recently when he was in Mandy, that was pretty insane. Uh, him going off, but uh, but yeah, uh, I don't even know how we got down this path. But it doesn't it doesn't <laughs> matter. Just everybody go do yourself a favor. Go to YouTube and and type in Nicholas Cage freaks out. And, and watch all of those clips. And then when you're done with it, as a palate cleanser, watch Steven Seagal running. <laughs> great, great, great YouTube. Uh, and yes, it looks as ridiculous as you would think. 
Um, speaking of ridiculous, which we often do here. Yep. What do you think? You want to talk some plot holes for, for a little bit? Yeah, let's talk some plot holes. So uh, tell the listeners about this idea that you came up with. So I've been, I haven't been proven wrong, but I've definitely been, uh, I've had, I've had to soften the edges of my take on uh, Star Wars, the last Jedi, because there were some plot holes in that film that made my teeth itch. And ever since then, I could not, I could not get away from it. I, I was something that has always been in the back of my mind. And so, no, this is not the last Jedi show. I'm not going to go spend 30 minutes on me being like a super nerd and, and shitting all over Star Wars, or at least the new ones. So it just got this idea sparked in my head that what we really needed to do was take a take a trip down the rabbit hole of plot holes to to you ruin movies or tv and uh, i thought that was a fun idea i did some research there are a couple of these things that i cribbed off of uh you know online and i'll admit to that because it was something that when i googled plot holes in movies uh most of these are my own thoughts right but there there was one here that i'm just going to get out of the way right now which i thought was hilarious and when i watched it as a kid did not notice it at all. <laughs> okay. Karate Kid. Okay. All right. So in Karate Kid, we go through Daniel's journey to become the Karate Kid, the, the ethical and silent warrior that he is full of heart to take on Cobra Kai, right? Mm-hmm. At the very end, the last match, the, the culmination of everything, there is... It's it's him versus the big bad in the show. I can't remember what the guy's name is, but he's part of this dojo and he's an asshole because everybody puts part of that dojo as an asshole. And right at the beginning of the match, uh, the referee very clearly delineates the rules. Now, one of those rules is no strikes to the head. And when you watch the very last crane kick that Daniel does, to end the entire match and, and win everything, and he's the hero, he jacks that dude straight in the face. So, again, it didn't ruin childhood for me. Obviously, I didn't notice it when I was a kid, but looking back at it, Daniel's a cheater. Yeah. Yeah, not not okay. So, <laughs> and that's and that's that's immortalized on film. Like, that's going to be there forever. So... But yes, it is. It is one of those things where you slow it down, and that was not a soft kick either. Like, definitely go watch that thing in slow mo. He gets jacked in the face. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, can't you know? Definitely can confirm Daniel loser. Hmm. Yeah. What about you? What what stuck out to you when you were uh, when you were thinking about this? Well, I mean, there's always been movies in the back of my head that, for whatever reason, they stuck with me. Kind of like. <laughs> Last Jedi did with you, which uh, I'm sure we'll get into that at some point. Because at some point, I mean, everybody knows uh, just how ridiculous some of those those plot holes are. Uh, but for me, um, the the plot holes that stuck out are probably two films in particular. Uh, one of those is Jurassic Park: Lost World, and the Lost World, the everything was going great, and it's still 
I still love that movie. I mean, it's definitely way better than Jurassic Park three, which atrocious. Oh, but Lord, but you know, there there's some moments in where it's you know disbelief where you got gymnastics and stuff like that in the Lost World. But uh, for me, the plot hole that uh, I never made sense was at the end when um, or towards the end because the guy is trying to build the park in I think it was either San Diego or L.A. or something like that. Right, <laughs> and so they were bringing the T-Rex there, you know, the mm-hmm. mother T-Rex. They already had the baby T-Rex being held at a facility that uh, was injured and, you know, uh, getting treatment. And so the the mother T-Rex is in this very secure, like, you know, uh, these blast doors keeping it within this, this ship. And so the ship's on its way, and so they're like, you know, everybody's there with the media. They're all there for the arrival, and all of a sudden they see on the radar that it's not slowing down, and so they all start running away from the dock and then the ship comes in, they go on board trying to figure out what happened. Where's the crew. And even down in like the, the, the crew, you know, uh, mess hall and whatever, like you just see body parts everywhere and, and people have been chewed up. And, um, then they're like, okay, well let's see where the, the female T-Rex is. And so they open up the door and all of a sudden it's like, it bursts out and so I'm like, okay, you're telling me that that T-Rex somehow broke out and put itself back in and ate everybody, even in these small nooks and crannies of the ship? Like, it just didn't make any sense to me. Um, so that was a major plot hole. But, of course, you know, what led up to it was kind of like the payoff of like, okay, well, now it's out running loose in, in the city and you know, and this came out like before Godzilla came out in 98, I think it was, or whatever. Right. That, yeah, that, another horrible movie. But, uh, you know, so seeing the T-Rex run around, go into the blockbuster video, you know, that whole thing was, was fun to see. So it, it definitely paid off, but it was just such a plot hole that I, I just, I don't know, I could never shake it. No, that's that's actually a really good example because it's one of those things, I and mean, a lot of things that we'll we'll talk about in general over over the period of the show, we'll have plot holes and and a lot of the things that we see as far as plot holes are concerned are forgiven. Those sins are forgiven because the movie as a whole is either very good or the action is bitching. You don't have to think about things. And I think that most of the stuff that stuck out to me were movies and TV that they didn't, they didn't win, you know, in spite of the plot hole. They, they couldn't overcome it. So uh, I guess the, the probably the most egregious one for me, and you'll disagree with me because I think we've talked about this before, but science, right? Uh-huh. In that Shyamalan. Yeah. Um, I respect to a degree M. Night Shyamalan, and I, I understand what he was trying to do. Everybody in this film, by the way, acted their pants off, which I cannot, I cannot, you know, get on them for. But uh, yeah, I saw what he's trying to do. He's kind of trying to draw this parallel between like War of the Worlds and and that kind of thing, where like germs killed off the, the aliens in War of the Worlds. I thought that was very, uh, it was it was uh, an interesting message. It was something that wasn't really expected. Obviously, this War of the Worlds is more than just a movie. You know, it's books and radio and all kinds of stuff. So the thing that bugged me in Signs was unlike War of the Worlds when you look at it and you see 
uh, you know, germs and stuff like that, like microorganisms that took down, uh, spoiler alert for, all, if you haven't seen the last 40 <laughs> versions of War of the Worlds, um, they took down all these aliens, right? Well, that's to me, you know, at least somewhat understandable, obviously at the time when this was written, you know, uh, made, they probably didn't have, uh, the kind of fidelity in science that we have now. So it was probably more fiction than science when they wrote it. And, you know, now looking back at it, you'd be like, oh, well, of course aliens would have the ability to tell if there were microorganisms on the earth, that kind of thing. Right. To me, sign sin was way more glaring in that the thing that killed all the aliens and damaged them, even if it touched them, that kind of thing was water. Mm -hmm. You're telling me that aliens that were able to come from another part of space didn't look at the planet and they're like, oh shit, 70% of that can kill me. Yeah. Like what's this blue color? <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, because again, like you're, you're thinking to yourself like, well, we can't land on that because it's water. Right. Right. So we, we have to land on land and nobody thought to check out the, most of the you know globe not to mention that there's i mean obviously like moisture in the air and stuff like that so it's i don't know the whole thing it went at the very end like because the whole thing hooked me right i was very much like damn like this is like not bad you know m night like pretty good mm -hmm. and uh at the very end they were just like the whole swing away thing and then the, the like the water getting on the alien and they're like oh shit i didn't know that could hurt me i was just kind of like what is going on here and then and then of course they all all the aliens bail after that water gets on that alien right so it was the it was like the first interaction with water they had had or something or maybe they all got to got back together at their alien meeting and they're just like shit this blue stuff can kill me <laughs> yeah then they all start I, leaving I, yeah, they're out of here. So it uh, I, that was um, it was a rare occurrence for me for a movie that I thought was actually really, really well done. Mm -hmm. And then at the very end, I was just like, "Wow, I noped out of this pretty hard. Like, I <laughs> I can't do this anymore." So yeah, no, that's a that's a good point to bring up because it's like, okay, so the aliens have been here for you know they've been coming to Earth for you know millions of years, you know, and researching and studying and watching and all that stuff. And then now that they decide, okay, let's, let's cultivate the earth and let's, uh, you know, like this is the environment that we should be in. Yeah. So it's that, that is an interesting point to bring up because, you know, the earth is, you know, primarily, what is it like 60, 70% water or ocean? Yeah, it's got, I think it's like 70%, you know, yeah. bodies of water. So <laughs> that seems to be a pretty glaring omission on the, on the super futuristic aliens point of view. Yeah, and if it rains, they're fucked. Yeah, I mean that's that's another thing. Like, I, I, again, like it it exists in more than just one way, and it it just seems so bizarre to me. Yeah, like I better stay inside today forever because if we go outside, our skin will melt. Right, it's probably not a a great thing for yeah. a planet you're trying to colonize. And I feel really bad for the aliens in in the end because if that was the best shot they had, then that means that man, everything else out there like really slim pickings not yeah. not great yeah yeah true uh and, and that's kind of the interesting thing with this whole plot hole conversation is it's real easy to find movies that suck and go okay here's a plot hole like 
like M. Night Shyamalan's The Happening. It's probably like one of the worst films he ever did next to probably right. Last Airbender. And, you know, that was just full of plot holes. But I'm not going to talk about that because that movie was god awful. Like, it, you know, the acting and, you know, Marky Mark, you know, given yeah, my boy. some of his lines that were just like, wow, I can't believe he said it that way. But, uh, yeah, but I think the other movie that sticks out for me uh, that is one of my favorites is The Dark Knight Rises. And mm-hmm. the plot hole with that where Bruce Wayne has been, you know, his, his back is broken. He's trying to uh, regain his strength and, and, and get back, you know, on his feet so he can try and figure out where he is in this prison that's on the other side of the world, uh, you know, from Gotham, and to escape. And so if, eventually he does, and he finds his way out of that pit. But how does he get back into Gotham, you know? And then meanwhile, Gotham is totally, you know, Bane is in control of it and they've shut down all the bridges. Uh, you know, there, there's basically like a, a DMZ zone between like the military and where the, you know, the, the terrorists of uh, the League of Shadows begins, you know, and they have the city hostage because they have a nuke in the center of it. And so it's kind of like, well, how does Bruce even get back in? Now, obviously, because he's Batman, he's the world's greatest detective, and he knows the the complete history of Gotham going back to, like, you know, the 1700s or 1600s, and he knows probably these old sewer ways to get in, and probably more so than anybody else there, you know, probably more so than the, you know, best engineering team or, or companies that are there in Gotham. But they just don't show it, and so magically he just shows up after you know Selena Kyle like helps a kid out who was getting bullied and she's like didn't expect to see you again and it's just kind of like what you know like, Made it. <laughs> that was one of those moments where I was like what how, like how do you just show up like it, it would have been so difficult for him to go in because he doesn't have his tools um you know the Wayne Manor's been shut down I mean I guess he still could have gotten into the Batcave somehow but it's like how does he even have power and I don't know so there there were just that's one of the plot holes that stuck with me. Yeah, I can understand that. Uh, I, I think that's a pretty, pretty important distinction to make. And I think that every writer has to walk this line where they say, "Am I making the, am I making the audience think too much? Right? Am I not making the audience think enough? Or is this explained away too easily? Is this not explained away easily enough?" Yeah, I will say that when I first watched The Last Jedi, a lot of the ones that I'll probably mention um, seemed to me to be pretty glaring. And then the more I thought about it, the more easily we were probably one or two steps away from explaining it away to where it wasn't it wasn't that big of a deal, but it still bugged the hell out of me. So I'll still mention them anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, I think I think a lot of writers have to walk that line. And so if the I won't, the thing that pissed me off about the last Jedi stuff wasn't that the audience was smart enough to explain it away in one or two steps. It was to the point where we had to, when it really wasn't that it was a pivotal part in the movie, right? It was, it was really important to the actual storytelling, the narrative devices and stuff like that. They were trying to use and it seemed like they just really blew past it in a way that it, anyway, I'll talk about it in a second, but the one I want to get to before that is Batman begins because mm-hmm. this is one that actually people caught. Well, some people caught, um, 
but it bugs the hell out of me. And this has nothing to do with what I just mentioned. So uh, ignore that for now. It's all about the science behind it. And it's all about the super duper microwave machine that's supposed to aerosolize all the water mm-hmm. when it's traveling on the train. So the idea, if, if you haven't seen it, that's dumb. You need to go see it. But the uh, the idea is, of course, that, you know, Ra's al Ghul is pumping uh, toxin into the water and you're the poison into the water. And right, you're going aeros- right. aerosolize it, right? From the uh, scarecrow. Exactly. So we're going to aerosolize it with microwaves because we're going to, you know, sublimate the water and and go to, or I'm sorry, evaporate the water and uh, make it uh, into gas. Mm-hmm. And everybody's going to breathe it. And they're going to go insane. And they're going to die. Um, there's, I take issue with that uh, mainly because you've got this like multi-directional super duper microwave machine. And uh, it's already been shown to basically just turn liquid into gas immediately mm-hmm. um if it's that po- if it's that powerful and it's powerful enough to do what it's doing while riding on the train at you know 60 miles an hour at the very end <laughs> yeah going to the center of gotham yeah going to the center of gotham um why isn't it just cooking everybody around them it's not like we don't have water inside of our bodies right very true so, uh, you know, it, it, it always bothered me. Like they're having this like massive, like fight on the train and everything. And if it, it's really that powerful, if it's really just like, you know, turning everything into vapor, uh, pretty sure that that proximity to it would have turned you into a crispy critter pretty fast. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So that, that always, always bothered the hell out of me. I mean, not again, the movie was good enough. To where this didn't, I, I was able to suspend my belief, but yeah, yeah, it, it was always in the back of my mind. Was there, a, was there another one that you were thinking of? Uh, there's really not one I can think of off the top of my head, um, other than those two I mentioned. Those are the really the the main two that always kind of stuck with me. I mean, again, there's probably other films, you know, like I mentioned with the happening, and you know, we mentioned with Last Jedi and stuff that there's. There are some uh, pretty egregious plot holes, but you know, I I'm trying to think of like really really good films that had some major ones that don't really add up, but I I can't think of any at, at the moment. That's fine. Let's let's shit on Last Jedi. Let's get there. All right, let's do it. Here we are. We uh, I did a lot of did a lot of the googling before I did this, and most of it was all about plot holes with kind of like Star Wars mythos and, and stuff like that. And like, you know, fucking up the rules inside of Star Wars and everything. And okay, fair enough. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. For me, it seemed like a pretty, pretty straightforward plot hole. It was at the very end. Um, so they had, for those of you who haven't seen it, um, well, it's probably going to be better for those of you who had, but obviously they've got Finn and Rose and they run off and they are trying to find this master hacker on this, you know, opulent planet, right? Well, they goof and they get arrested. And instead of master hacker guy who's suave and cool and at the high stakes table, instead they end up with Benicio Del Toro, which I don't know how that was a consolation prize, but a stuttering Benicio Del Toro is who they take back with them to crack the super duper tracker device on uh you know supreme leader snoke's main spacecraft mm-hmm. so they take him back 
and the only mention of the secret plan that uh, the vice admiral of the good guys, right, the rebellion has, is when Poe calls uh, Finn and he goes, we're going to take the transports instead of the main ship. And we're going to go to the, and they, they, they say, well, we're going to take the transports instead of the main ship. They don't tell them we're going to a planet. Uh, they don't tell them anything else. That's all they say. And surprise, surprise, stuttering Benicio del Toro decides to turn on Finn and Rose at the last minute when they're aboard Snoke's ship. When they do this, they come back and they say, ah, we scanned for the cloaked ships and we found them. Or the cloaked transport ships and we found them. Mm -hmm. At no point at any part of the dialogue that we have seen were was Benicio del Toro or Finn or Rose or anybody aware of anything cloaked. All they knew is they were supposed to be taking transport ships to a planet or yeah. they didn't even know they were going to a planet. Right. So it might seem a little nitpicky, but to me it was kind of like if they didn't know what they're, if they, if they kind of know what they're looking for, but they didn't know how they were going to look for them. Yeah. They could stumble into that kind of thing. Like, Oh, where are these transport ships? Oh, we're going to decloak them. Okay. We found them. But to me here, they are uh, just completely jumping a few scenes where, or even like just glossing over this whole thing about cloaking a ship. And they were just like, Nope, we found them. Thanks. Thanks. Benicio del Toro. You crushed it. Yeah. Uh, best, best snake ever. And, uh, and, and so, yeah, they start picking them off and I was just like, how nobody had this information, <laughs> you know, like nobody knew about this. It seemed, I don't know, to me, it seemed like such a glaring error in the way the story was told. Um, if you, if you're going to brush past stuff, writers, uh, brush past stuff that isn't critical to the plot. Right. You know, I mean, it's great to make people think, but it's not great to make people think about stupid shit. Yeah. Right. That's like, it's seemingly insignificant. And so, I don't know. That bothered the hell out of me. Um, well, it was just thing, too convenient, I mean, too. Like, that they needed to find this master hacker and the way that they find him, it's just like, really, what are the odds of that? So, yeah, there's a lot of suspended disbelief where it, a lot of it is just not that credible, you know? But yeah, that's just the way those films go. It is. Um, another. Uh, suspended belief thing was uh, so Ray takes an escape pod after a big battle with uh, Snoke mm -hmm. and Kylo Ren, right? So she's she's getting the hell out of that ship while it's exploding and everything. Uh, later on, like two scenes later, you see her back on the Millennium Falcon, right? Just like oh, we found her in space, like it's that easy, right? Like they they somehow knew to go look for her in the bad guy's escape pod right i mean i, I yeah. don't know it that whole movie pisses me off i'm not gonna <laughs> lie everything about just it, like again ryan johnson dude can direct yeah uh the jury's now out on if he can write and i never thought i'd say that but him you know him taking part in that that movie and, and kind of putting it together like he's had such tight scripts in the past it makes me wonder what the hell was he out the lunch on this like it was just such a bad movie i think it was 
I think it was more of Disney getting involved in certain elements, and you know, and I'm sure he'll be back to form with Knives Out because he wrote and directed it. So yeah, sure. we'll see. But yeah, um, the the scene from Last Jedi that I, I just it it irks me still is when Leia ends up out in space and she uses the Force to. I'm like, oh my god, it was so oh, again so bad. She, at that point, they know she's passed away in real life. Yeah. They so could have ended it, that but... story arc right right there. That, I mean, and, and it would have been a clean break, and it would have been dramatic because, you know, space battle, Kylo Ren takes out his mom just like he took out his dad, and everybody's very emotional about it. Um, instead, they decided to bring her back in, but she wasn't really critical like the rest of the movie. It was just kind of like, well, she's here. Yeah, and same thing for the next one coming out. Like, apparently she's going to be in it, and it's going to be her, you know, like, virtual self. Yeah, which, uh, God, who knows? It's just such a freaking mess. But anyway, yeah, that it might seem nitpicky to some people, but I can't can't get around, you know, weird plot devices just, like, completely lacking like that. And, and there, it happens so much in that movie. It just, man, that whole movie pisses me off. But anyway, that's my, that's my plot holes for today. I'm sure there will be many to come. Yeah. And uh, you know, who knows, it could be in some films that we might see in over the next year or so uh, and in the future, but yeah, uh, excellent segment, Carl, uh, definitely enjoyed talking about plot holes and everything with that. Uh, so look forward to more talk uh, between Carl and I, maybe some guests in the future about some plot holes, whether it's movies or TV shows. Uh, but yeah, uh, I think that wraps up uh, today's episode. Had a lot of fun as always, Carl. Uh, that was that was a lot of stuff to cover, and I think we're going to have even more items and, and news coming out over this next week. But I uh, want to remind our listeners, feel free to give us a call at 972-885-9361. Leave us a voicemail there of anything you want us to discuss, uh, and we will get back to you and hopefully do it uh, within the next episode. You can find us in the uh, social stratosphere, which will be Twitter, or Instagram, or Facebook. Uh, just look for at Sensibly Loud. Facebook, you'll just search for Sensibly Loud Media. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll catch you on next week's episode of Sensibly Loud Radio.